0: If you got your Bibles, can you open them up to 1 Samuel chapter 1? And we're beginning a series tonight focusing on women. Amazing women. Actually, really just ordinary women, but amazing. Eight courageous women who transformed their world. You know, there's a lot of women used in the Bible by God a lot of women shaped history and uh, sadly in the church's history over time we've pushed women to the side we've pushed women to the side we've said no you can't be ordained you can't lead up front you can't speak you can't teach You, you sit there you you do the sunday school you know I don't want to be judgmental to um, you know, the wisdom that was you know in groups past or present, but I believe that God uses women and men gifted by the Holy Spirit to transform their world, whether they're up front or not. And I believe, I, I'm looking forward to this series because I want to focus on the fact that God can transform the world using women we all know that don't we because we've had mums we've had a mum that's helped us stay alive and not die and fed us and bathed us and looked after us you know and uh, they've changed the world in fact they've changed our world but i want to look at specific women in the bible we're going to look at some tonight we're looking at hannah you may have heard of hannah all right she's fairly famous in christian circles she's only got two chapters in the bible ever anywhere she's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible Um, her name means God is gracious and uh, we've got an Anna she's not a Hannah but the same meaning God is gracious and in fact Ian means God is gracious too wow that's a side issue tonight we're looking at Hannah but next week we're going to be looking at someone else that doesn't have a name Uh, and and another couple of times we'll be looking at uh, women you've probably never ever heard of I'd like to know if you did but uh, we're looking at some um, some unknown ones that I believe should get a mention. But tonight we're going to be looking at Hannah. And specifically, we're looking at Hannah's heart and what we can learn from, from her tonight. So I'll really keep it simple tonight. I might just pray and then we'll get into uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and the story of Hannah. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for Hannah and we thank you, Lord, for the things we can learn from Hannah tonight. Help us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I'm reading from the message. There once was a man who lived in Ramathame. He was descended from the old Zuf family in the Ephraim Hills. His name was Elkanah. He was connected with the Zufs from Ephraim through his father Jeroham, his grandfather Elihu, and his great-grandfather Tohu. He had two wives. The first was Hannah, the second was Peninnah. Peninnah had children. Hannah did not. Pretty sad, isn't it? Pretty sad that Elkanah didn't understand what God's plans were. Elkanah wasn't living his life to God's design. When God created, he created Adam and Eve, and the two become one, and they become one. The three don't become one, the four don't become one, the two don't become one plus one, they become one. That was God's plan. And here, Elkanah, he's got two wives. It's in the Bible, two wives. I'm not having two wives. She, she probably would. <laughs> one husband's enough for Sonia, I think. But having two wives is actually not God's plan. But God overlooks our failures and our mistakes and our shortcomings, and he still manages to work out his own plan. Here we see this family made up of Elkanah, the man, and it says the the first wife was Hannah. She's mentioned first. And then the second was Peninnah. I hope I'm getting their names pronounced correctly. Peninnah had children. Hannah did not. Hannah's mentioned first. Now, just before we go any further, this says something about Hannah. She was obviously Elkanah's first wife, right? So they married. Now, I'm guessing, I'm putting this into it. I'm just guessing maybe maybe Elkanah realized, well, I can't have children with Hannah. So I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to go in my own strength. I'm going to go find someone else, marry them. Everyone else around me is doing that. All the other nations are doing that. I can do it too. And so he marries another one to have children, in which she does have children. We're told that she has children, plenty of children, but we're told that Hannah does not. It's pretty, pretty um, sad to say this, but you ever noticed that good things happen to bad people? And bad things happen to good people. Do you ever notice that in life? Like good things, good things happen to bad people. And bad things can happen to good people. I remember actually writing like a poem with those words in it once when we were pastoring up in Queensland. There was this family in the church and their five-year-old son drowned in a dam. Died. Like just gone. Just five years old. That's it. End of life. And that was sad. And they weren't the most perfect family, but they weren't evil. They were, they were good people and just this bad thing happened. And it rocked their, it just broke their, their, they were broken. The church was broken. The community was broken. Every, the whole surrounding communities were broken at this tragedy that happened to good people. Bad thing happening to good people. We're just praying for a family tonight. We don't know if they're good people, but Mostly people are pretty good, you know. Bad things happen. Bad things happen. And it's sad. And I don't have any answers. But here at Hannah, she is, um, her name, what does it mean? God is gracious. And she's experiencing a bad thing. In her eyes, it would be a bad thing. In fact, there's one desire that she really has, and that's to have a son. She desires to have a son. And she doesn't have any, she doesn't have any children. She's got no children. She's barren. Why? Was it, was it her sin? Was it her father's sin? Was it a parent's sin? Was it because she didn't obey God, you know? And we ask these questions, do not we, when bad things happen to good people? We say, why? Well, in the Bible, it tells us why Hannah was barren, why she wasn't having any children. Does anyone want to have a guess? at why she wasn't having any children. Whose fault is it? or well, not whose fault is it, but who, why, why? It says in verse five and six that God closed her womb. That's what it says. I don't believe that's a metaphorical picture of, you know, it just so happened that she doesn't have any children, so let's put God in the equation. I actually believe that God closed her womb. I believe that God stopped her from experiencing having a child for a reason. Now, it's, it's pretty tough to say that, but I believe that God allows things to happen. In fact, sometimes makes them happen. We see it as a bad thing, but like in hindsight, we look back and go, wow, that was God working. Hang with me, all right? Hang with me. First off, Hannah, God is gracious. She's got this bad stuff happening, right? Let's read on. Every year, this man Elkanah went from his hometown up to Shiloh to worship, and after, sorry, and offer a sacrifice to God of the angel armies. All right, so they go up to worship. Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phineas, served as the priests of God there. I'll just stop there. This family, they go to worship. They go to a place called Shiloh. Okay. And they go to a place where there's a priest called Eli and his two sons are priests as well. So they are ministering at the at the uh, place of worship and we're told later on that actually Hophni and Phinehas, Eli the priest's sons, are really bad guys. They, ha- they actually don't have any regard for God at all. They have the title, they have the title of priest, but they really don't have the heart behind it. They've got the position they've got their names in lights they've got the little badges they can put on their desks I'm the priest of the of the temple but when it comes to actually being a priest they've forgotten what the whole heart of the issue is connecting with God <laughs> they actually you can read on in um, I think it's chapter two and chapter three you can talk you, it talks about Phinehas and Hophni and how ungodly they actually are but yet they are the priests and Eli is just Uh, turning a blind eye to what is going on in the temple. But apart from all of those bad things that priests are doing, Elkanah and his family still go to worship. And I love that because I think that's what worship really is. You see, you guys don't come here to see me. You don't come here to see whoever leads worship or whoever leads the prayer you you don't really we I guess you could come here to see each other but ultimately we're missing out on the main thing if we don't come here to meet with God to worship God to walk past the priest, so to speak to look past the Bible reading and sermon and and try to see what God's saying in the midst of it all because ultimately that's what worship is is connecting one heart to another heart my heart your heart to his heart, to God's heart. And so here's this family, Elkanah and his two wives, they go to worship, right? Now it says, when Elkanah sacrificed, he passed helpings from the sacrificial meal around to his wife Peninnah and all her children. But he always gave especially generous helping to Hannah because he loved her so much and because God had not given her children. So there you go, That's that's where it says it there. So they would go to sacrifice. They'd take, they take a, a lamb or a bull, and they'd sacrifice it. And Hannah would get the best cut. Like she'd get eye fillet, or you know, T-bone, or whatever, whatever your favorite thing is. You know, she'd get that, just her. And so she'd just be eating that in front of everyone else. Maybe I don't know. Because Elkanah loved her, and he felt sorry for her, right? But he loved her so much. But it says here in uh, after um after that verse where it says uh, god had not given her children it says but her rival the rival wife taunted her cruelly rubbing it in and never letting her forget that god had not given her children this went on year after year so Peninnah, like it's bad enough right poor hannah she can't have kids right every single year she goes to the temple it's the same, it's a reminder again, I can't have kids, What? why, you know, what's wrong with me, you know, and in that culture, it's seen as a, as a curse to not have kids and a blessing to have kids. And so here's this Penina having kids and Hannah not having kids. And it turns out that Penina is a little bit of a nag and she points the finger and cruelly mistreats Hannah and reminds her of what she doesn't have. Reminds Hannah how bad it is in her situation. Her rival wife taunted her cruelly, rubbing it in, never letting her forget that God had not given her children. This went on year after year. Every time she went to the sanctuary of God, she could expect to be taunted. Hannah was reduced to tears and had no appetite. You know what that says about Hannah? is that Hannah is not like me and a lot of us. Because if someone gives me a dose, I will give it back to them with ice cream and cherries on top. You can't tell me that you can't talk to me like that. How dare you be that? How dare they be? how, How dare they say that? You know, like, how dare they say that God is to blame here or whatever? But no, Hannah doesn't. Even though it looks like Hannah's not receiving grace, like God is gracious receiving God's grace, she seems to be showing god's grace doesn't she to people around her she could have said to elkanah you know what i don't want the choicest meat it's just look i don't really care i'm a vegetarian anyway but she doesn't she could have said to the other wife you know she could have hit her she could have been you know but she doesn't what does she do she just cries and she doesn't eat and her husband elkanah read on he feels for her right Her husband Elkanah said, oh Hannah, why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? And why are you so upset? Is he married to her? Does he have a relationship with this woman? Why is he asking these questions? Why are you crying? Dale, you'd get in trouble. Like if, If it was obvious, it's obvious for Hannah that she's not having a baby. It's obvious to everyone else that she's upset because she's getting ridiculed by this rival woman and not receiving the blessing that she really desires and longs for from God. But God's holding back. God's closed her womb. She's barren. You know what? I see, I see Hannah as a as a prophetic figure, actually, in the story of God, because at this time, the nation of Israel was not reproducing what God wanted it to reproduce. They were—they had all the form, but no power. They had all the gear, but no idea. The priests would perform their functions, and they'd do it right way, and they'd say the right things, and they, everything was done properly. But it was all head, and there was no heart. Like God was not getting any worship from anyone it was just all a show it was just all a farce and they weren't reproducing what god wanted them to reproduce and and the nation itself was barren and i see that hannah is a kind of a picture of that and in fact what she does bring forth is a pic is, is it just you see the whole nation beginning to change after what she gives birth to the whole nation changes and gives birth to a great king down the track called jesus But that's just ruining the ending. But her husband, her husband said, why are you crying? Why are you not eating? And why are you so upset? And then if that's not bad enough, he says these words or words to the effect. Am I not of more worth to you than 10 sons? What does Hannah really want? What's Hannah's real desire here? To have a child, right? To have a child, to have A son to have at least one, but nothing. And so the husband comes in and says, well, aren't I worth 10? If that was me married to someone else, I'd have my head knocked off. But Hannah doesn't respond that way. We see after he says this, that Hannah... Eight, then she pulled herself together, slipped away quietly and entered the sanctuary. She could have taken this problem and she could have made the problem bigger and she could have blamed people for it. She could have tried to accuse other people and and take her pain out on someone else. But she chooses to do something which I think is really powerful if we're ever in that situation ourselves. If we ever feel like God's tied us up from being reproductive she does these things. She eats. Eating is a good thing. You, you need to worship the Lord with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. That's what the first greatest commandment is. And you love your neighbor as yourself. You've got to eat to do that. If you don't eat, you don't go to the toilet. If you don't go to the toilet, you die. That's what my dad used to say in words like that. You need to eat so that you can be physically able to worship the Lord with all of your strength. And eating is actually a good thing. It's, it's really good for your body, your mind, and your spirit. So she eats. Then she pulled herself together. She didn't wait for someone else to do it for her. You know, like she actually just went, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pull myself together. A lot of the Psalms, you know, when David writes the Psalms, he's like, he, he's talking to himself. Oh, my soul, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. Like, we have to do it ourselves. No one's going to do that for you. No one's going to pull you together for yourself. I know some people that are going through some tough times and we get around them and support them. But in the end, we can't actually make them get pulled together or hold together. We can support as much as we can, but it's up to the person in the the struggle to pull themselves together jesus comes out on the water walking on the water to the disciples struggling in the oars one one night in the middle of the night and they're freaking out they're gonna drown jesus comes walking on the water and he says don't be afraid it's me in other words pull yourself together i'm here and so she pulls herself together she slips away quietly and she enters the sanctuary she goes past the priest past all the problems of the priest past all the ritual things, all the little items of worship, past all the paraphernalia and the riffraff, past all the everything to the sanctuary, which I think is a beautiful word in the message translation uh, translation, paraphrase, is a sanctuary is a place of safety. You know, you can go to any zoo and it's a sanctuary where the animal is able to behave the way that it's been designed to behave in a safe environment. They actually just do what they do really well. And this is a place, I believe, like on a Sunday night, we come together and we should feel safe to be who we are in God's idea, in God's mind. We live in his plan. We, we, we understand what God's heart is in a situation. We set our eyes on him, like Sonia was saying earlier, and not on our problems. We see how great our God is and how small our problems are, not vice versa. And so she does this herself. She eats, she pulls herself together, and she goes straight to God. All right. Now, the priest Eli was on duty at the entrance to God's temple in the the customary seat. In other words, he's on guard duty, he's gatekeeper. And he's watching. Hannah goes in, and it says in the message crushed in soul, Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried inconsolably. Then she made a vow. Oh, God of the angel armies, if you'll you'll take a good hard look at my pain, if you'll quit neglecting me and go into action for me. Wow, that's how she felt. She said to God, you're neglecting me. Wow. She cried and cried and cried in an inconsolable mess. I'm sure there was snot. Alright, I'm sure there was a blubbering, you know, there, was, there wouldn't have been any tissues handy and she would have been a mess, right, on the outside. And she comes to God and she's real with him. She's, she comes to, the, the message says, she comes to the God of the angel armies. Sounds like a big guy, don't you think? If you'll, if you'll, take, a, if you'll take a good, hard look at my pain, if you'll quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a son, I'll give him completely, unreservedly to you. I'll set him apart for a life of holy discipline. All right. I just love the way that words it because it makes makes sense. But there's a lot of passion and feeling and emotion in that. And I believe there should be in church. I think there should be. No, we're not like, you know, we're not all South Americans and Italians or whatever, but I believe there needs to be some passion and emotion and feeling when it comes to connecting with God, when it comes to bringing your heart to his heart and getting real with him. And she does. But to some people, it looks like a selfish thing. She she says, give me a son. I want a son. Give me a, stop neglecting me and give me a son. But it's not selfish. She says, give me a son so I can give him back to you and you know sometimes or i remember a time in my early christian life where you see i went to a a different church it wasn't a wesleyan church it wasn't a pentecostal church it was fairly conservative and no one put their hands up in the air when they sang songs no one was like you know everyone was pretty prim and proper and you know hands in front if you got excited you went up on your toes like if there was a chorus and you know we got up on your toes and that's that's pretty much as far as it went and if anyone came in and put their hands up in the air to worship the Lord, it was seen as being, oh, they just want all the attention. They, they're the ones that they want to take the focus off of the Lord and onto themselves so that everyone can see how holy they are or how worshipful they are. I don't know. Has anyone ever been there before? Have you ever heard people say that? <laughs> and I thought that was the case until, until you know, I, I guess, you know, you guys have been there, you've lived and you've seen it's, it's the fruit in a person's life. That shows their heart of worship. So the the evidence of the Holy Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Is that something like that? Did I do it in the right order? I don't know. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, you know, and uh, hands up or hands down, on your face, on your knees, sitting down, bouncing on your toes, doesn't matter. <laughs> But there should be some passion. There should be some emotion. And there is here for Hannah. She's desperate. And that's why I think God closed her womb. I think God closed her womb and allowed her to face that problem so that it got her passionate enough to really seek him properly. Like to say, give me a son, but he's going to be yours. Like instead of give me a son. So she comes and says, okay, please give me a son but I'll give him to you. And in the Bible, let's just read on and see how she does this, how she asks. It so happened that as she continued in prayer before God, Eli was watching her closely, right? Then it says, Hannah was praying in her heart silently. Her lips moved, but no sound was heard. Isn't that cool? That she is heart to heart with God, and there's no sound coming out of her mouth. She looks like a mess on the outside. But on the inside, God's really working in her pain, in her struggle. God's really working and he's listening. It's almost like God's ears have just gone, whoop, up. There's someone. There's someone in my temple doing what I've designed the temple for. There's someone worshiping me. Wow. Wow, Look at that, you know I could imagine him just saying, "Angels, quick, quick. Look, Stop, Tears!" Emotion, a heart broken for me. That's God's perspective. This is Eli's. Eli's watching this woman. Then it says, Eli jumped to the conclusion that Hannah was drunk. He approached her and said, you're drunk. How long do you plan to keep this up? Sober up, woman. Then Hannah said, oh, no, sir, please. I'm a woman hard used. I haven't been drinking, not a drop of wine or beer. The only thing I've been pouring out is my heart, pouring it out to God. Don't for a minute think I'm a bad woman. It's because I'm so desperately unhappy and in such pain that I've stayed here so long. She is just pouring her heart out. You know, Eli thought she was pouring other stuff into a cup and drinking too much of it, but she was pouring her heart out. And you know what that looks like? A heart being poured out to God can sometimes look offensive to the religious people in the room that ought to know better, like Eli. This, this woman is actually doing what the, the sanctuary was created for. And he missed it. He missed it. But as soon as she talks about it, he realises, ah, I've got it wrong. Eli answered her, go in peace and may the God of Israel give you what you have asked of him. And then Hannah responds, think well of me and pray for me. And and, uh, she said, and went her way. Then she ate heartily, her face radiant. Up before dawn, they worshipped God and returned home to Ramah. Elkanah slept with Hannah his wife, and God began making the necessary arrangements in response to what she had asked. I think that's beautiful. Like two two things that I noticed there is that it says it says that Elkanah slept with Hannah his wife. Any version you've got, it says his wife, not one of his wives. So this guy's gone. Hang on, I'll I'll change my way. But Hannah, she, she, she didn't even have a child yet. She, didn't even, she wasn't even pregnant yet. She, she didn't have the answer to the prayer, but she was able to eat and walk away from there, trusting God at his word. And then God began making the necessary arrangements in response to what she had asked. Hannah, God is gracious. God is gracious. He allows bad things to happen to good people, and good things to happen to bad people. Not because he wants to change the bad situation that the good people are in, but he wants to change the good people to become better good people in the bad situation. Hannah was a passionate woman. She gave birth to a little boy called Samuel, who became became a servant of the Lord, who heard the voice of God, and who was a prophet of God, listened to God, and was able to... um, speak and lead the nation of Israel back to following and worshipping God again. And ultimately, he was the one who anointed King David to be the king over Israel. And then down the, down the, tra- down the track further along, we see another woman in Bethlehem having a baby who had become the saviour of the world, all part of the lineage of David. If it wasn't for this woman, Hannah, and her problem, I wonder how it would have worked out. I wonder how God's plan would have been able to be accomplished if it wasn't for her perseverance and her persistence to trust God even when she was barren, even when there was pain, even when there was a woman taunting her, even when her husband couldn't understand, even when the religious people were blaming her and accusing her. She had her heart set on God. And that's what I learned from Hannah tonight. And you should too. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks. It's about you getting real with a real God. And he'll work it out. He'll work out the, everything. That's all I've got for tonight. But I wonder you know, if we can learn something else from Hannah. Is that not only is she, um, her name means what? God is gracious? It, it doesn't mean God is gracious to me. It means God is gracious through me. She was able to show God's grace to every single person she came across in this situation and still see God's hand at work in your life. It's really beautiful. All right, let me pray for you guys. Father, we thank you so much that you do love us. And we thank you so much, Lord God, that you are always with us. You never leave us. And Lord, we thank you so much that we can trust you. And Lord, though hard times come our way, I mean, it might not be that you're not answering our prayer to have a child, although it might be. And it seems like you're not hearing us or you're not answering it in our timing. Lord, we just thank you so much that you have a plan and a purpose that far outweighs anything that we could dream or hope or imagine. And Lord, it's just beautiful to see that this woman, this Hannah, she stood up for what was right. She persevered. She was gracious. She trusted you. She worshipped you. She poured out her heart to you. And that's all you want from us too, Lord God, our hearts. It's not much but it's all you want it's what you died for on the cross to save our hearts and we just thank you so much lord that you love us tonight you're going to help us lord this week to trust you lord in everything and we pray your blessing upon us lord God as we leave from here tonight in jesus name amen